Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your AEW Full Gear 2021 Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back just minutes after AEW Full Gear went off the air to break down everything that happened on the pay-per-view. The Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, both of us here late night to talk about every match, give you grades, analysis, our thoughts on the pay-per-view in its entirety, and what is ahead in the world of AEW going forward after one of its four big pay-per-views of the year. This is an instant analysis podcast, so we're not here to waste any time off the top. Let me first remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave those five-star ratings and reviews, let people know how much you love this damn show, tell them how much you love Instant Analysis Podcast, Uh, tell them to subscribe, and yes, if you drop those five-star ratings and reviews, we will read your reviews on this podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet live during the shows, uh, allow you the opportunity to give pre- and post-show grades. We often have live shows for free on Twitter. We read your DMs on, you know, this podcast, and we let you know when new episodes drop. So there's every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So this is an instant analysis episode. That means we do things a little bit differently, and the main thing we do differently is only for these instant analysis. We crack open a cold one. So the Silver King is getting started today. Wow, that just exploded everywhere with a UFO winter blonde. It is a hazy blonde vanilla coffee ale. And for anyone who listens to this show, you know, all of those things are what I love. So I'm very excited to try this beer. The only problem with UFO, it's from Boston, Massachusetts. That is a major issue. But if it's a good beer, I'll get over it. Chris, welcome to the show. What do you have uh, for us tonight? I've got a, a, a beta purple haze. Uh, one I haven't broken out in a, in a while here on this show, I think, but one I like to go back to. This is two from Boston in a row for you, right? No, no, I, I stay away from everything Boston I possibly can. Okay. But this is we, this is delicious, though. I will. We say. brought up Boston for some reason recently. I don't remember what it was. Probably just because I hate them. I don't know. Maybe it was a crowd. I don't remember. I don't know. But, yeah, but I know beer, you. Hate, I know you hate them because we talked about it recently. But yeah, but this beer is delicious. Beer. So hey, Boston did something right. It only took them, you know, a couple hundred years. <laughs> But they got something right. All right. Uh, We got our beers in. Uh, We're here to talk AEW full gear instant analysis style. Chris, um, look, the way we kind of kick this off, right, is we give our pre-show grades. Now, anyone who listened to our ultimate preview podcast, you already know Chris and I were both at the A minus grade. We wanted to give some room to exceed expectations, but we also felt that the card was super strong and wanted to be around that A minus B plus area Uh, in our poll of you, the listeners. You guys felt very similarly. Uh, 46% of you came in with an A, 44% with a B, 4% C, and 6% D to F. I don't know who you people are that are thinking this card is going to be a D or F, but 6%, I mean, it was more than the C, so I found that to be interesting. Uh, I would say, Chris, the listeners and the fans, the wrestling fans who voted in the poll, they were pretty much aligned with us. That averages out to an A minus B plus, which I think was a very fair pre-show grade going into this yeah i i mean obviously when aw only does what four of these uh right you gotta hit it right coming in 
and I think they had done as good a build as maybe they've ever done for an entire card. And so it was reasonable to be uh, have high expectations for this. It was a strong build. I thought it was also the best go-home show that we've gotten on Dynamite for an AEW pay-per-view yet, which is extreme positive and was a little bit of a surprise to me. Uh, we're going to talk about the entire card. Before we do, we always talk about anything else, like the extraneous stuff surrounding it, so that way we make sure we talk about it. The one thing I wanted to note coming in, and Chris, I don't know if you have anything. I thought the set was awesome. There was a real heavy emphasis on gears, the name, you know, full gear. But what I absolutely loved, the set looked cool. What I loved was the ramp, which looked like they were walking on top of like an exposed machine with gears that were twirling the entire time. It was probably the best part of any AEW pay-per-view entrance to date. And I, I thought I appreciated that as a fan who always loved, especially back in the day with WWF and WWE, the unique entrances for every pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing I could like, I mean, there's many things I would like to change about the current WWE product, but near the top of that list would be unique pay-per-view sets and making shows feel different, making shows feel special. And that's what the set did for AEW. It just, it felt different. I think this is the first time they've ever done a different set. They've done the different versions of their sets for pay-per-views. Right, Obviously, right. Double or Nothing in particular, it has the casino stuff and, you know. Yeah. So so they do special sets, but they're all very similar to each other. Yeah. This I mean, one, they went on, back to the yeah. big screens and it looked good. Yeah. Honestly, early on, they did more unique stuff with, with the beach setup. They did at Fighter Fest or whatever that was at one time. So mm -hmm. it was nice to see this. It really set the tone. The ramp was awesome. It worked great with the entrances. Um, it, they did a really good job with, with entrances and graphics and stuff like that. So I'm going to talk a lot about AEW production in this <laughs> in this show. <laughs> I'm sure you uh, will. Heads up, good and bad. Uh, but this was definitely uh, a very much a good. So for any new listeners who are checking us out, uh, listening to an instant analysis for the first time, we do this a little bit different than maybe some other shows might, or then at least when we, when we do the previews. When we do the previews, we work from the bottom of the card all the way down or up, whatever you want to call it, to the main event. Here, we start with the biggest match on the show. We get you right out of the gate with the main event. And then I break the card down in order of what I felt were the most important matches and or the best matches. In this case, I did most important to kind of make sure that we spend the most time we possibly can on the biggest stories. And there's no bigger story, Chris, on this pay-per-view than the AEW World Championship, Kenny Omega defending against Hangman Adam Page. Now, Rampage being... On Friday nights ahead of Saturday pay-per-views, unfortunately, it does sometimes create additional content that we need to go over before we get into the matches themselves. Luckily, it only happened a couple times. One of them was the main event. On Rampage, Hangman apologized to the Young Bucks, saying they're officially even after costing each other title shots in the past. He warned them, though, that if they even touch him on Saturday, he'll absolutely ruin them. I thought this was a really good way to provide reason for the Bucks not interfering in the match especially given it's happened so often with Omega title defenses. Adam Cole got in Hangman's face to start that segment, which could potentially be alluding to a future match between them. So I just love that they almost put the last piece into the puzzle before you got into this huge match that we've been waiting, you know, basically two years to say. And you, exactly, because of two years, because they have such a history and because... You know, we said on the Thursday show, the ultimate preview, that there was a lot of story 
to this for two years. Um, I hope they, you know, kind of told tell it all. Yeah. Bring you know, bring some of this other stuff back up. And this was a great way to do that on Rampage. You know, you're expecting potentially an interference. This was a great way for Paige to just have his interaction with them. We haven't seen the three of them really together in a while. Long time, really. So it was a good moment to kind of set the tone for what we might or might not see in the match. And obviously, you know, it ends up paying off later. But I thought that was a really, really good lit one last little thing right before he goes, you know, into the biggest match of his life. So I, I really liked it. It was nice. Now, they did not give us the equivalent of the Stone Cold Rock My Way WrestleMania 17 video package that we really wanted, right? The thing that recapped every single thing that happened in the feud and set the stage for this epic main event. They didn't give us that, you know, either on the buy-in or even ahead of the match itself, but they did a relatively good job, I thought, setting the stage. Now, I'm going to tell you guys, for many matches on this card to try to quicken up and speed up these instant analysis, I I shortened my match descriptions because I wanted to make sure we spent more time with analysis and breakdowns and grades than we did just going over the match. The one match where I made the exception was this one because it had to be done and we, we really it, need to talk about what actually happened in the match. And, and real quick, I want to talk about, you just mentioned the, the sure. lack of video. Um, I, I didn't like that. They they didn't have, they didn't tell the whole story. They didn't talk about Paige used to be at the top. I mean, they mentioned that, but they didn't go into the depths that he went to the alcoholism kind of right. thing that kind of dropped the dark right. order stuff, them get them bringing him back up, him leaning on them when he needs to, but then moving away when he realized he needed to do things. They, again, they sold, they told such a good story over two years that you kind of did a disservice to it by not reminding us of the whole thing for, totally. for those of us who weren't paying attention for two years, who maybe don't watch BTE where some of this was told like there, it was such a, a rich story that I wish they had done a better video package to it. And that's a place where WWE is, the best in the business at doing something like that. I did like the vid, the video of him on the horse kind of come into the arena. It was nice. Yeah. It made it feel like a big deal, um, which is another thing they needed to do. They needed to make his entrance feel like a big deal. And they did. Um, so that was good. But the lack of a real hype video was, it was disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest difference between WWE and AEW when it comes to the video packages is WWE focuses extremely hard on the storytelling aspect. They want a casual viewer potentially watching the match to know exactly why these people are fighting, exactly what happened, you know, leading up to this feud. And when it's for WrestleMania or when it's for a major event, they go and do a longer package. And when it's not, they do one that just, you know, wraps up the four weeks between pay-per-views. AEW is more focused on ensuring you know it's a big, important fight, right? that there's something on the line. They don't focus so much on the long-term storytelling aspect. And I'll tell you, you know, I watched by myself, as, as did you, were, you know, covering college football, it's a late night. But if I was watching it, let's say at a party, if I had people over and many of them did not know AEW, they would have come into this match without a understanding of why this is such a big deal. And AEW does need to do a better job catering to casual fans. They can't just assume that everyone who watches their product knows everything and they're just going to quickly recap it for you. So that was a slight, you know, demerit, but that doesn't have anything to do with the match. Let's get to the match itself. So I think the crowd on the hard cam side stood the entire match. The rest of the crowd was normal. Uh, Hangman was notably aggressive early, but he ate a Terminator dive before delivering a tope suicida and top rope moonsault outside. 
Omega took Hangman off the top rope with an absurd Liger bomb and then hit some Snapdragons. Page countered the One Wing Angel into a victory roll, and Omega countered a Deadeye into a Tiger Driver 98. Page came back with an avalanche Spanish fly style suplex for a near fall. Hangman hit a flying clothesline off the ring apron into a table. It fell, but it didn't break. Hangman feigned a buckshot lariat and tried a V-trigger, but Omega avoided it. Hangman hit a pop-up powerbomb, but Omega pulled the referee in to eat a buckshot lariat in a great spot. That led Don Callis into the ring. He tried to use the belt. Hangman punched him. Hangman dodged a belt shot from Omega and hit Deadeye. Aubrey Edwards ran in, but Omega kicked at 2.9 and a really good false finish. Page uh, considered using the title, but didn't. Omega hit some really big V-triggers, but Hangman refused to be put down. He screamed, is that all you got, motherfucker? And hit a huge lariat. The Young Bucks then slowly walked out to the ring. They dropped each other on their heads, Hangman and Omega. Omega countered a buckshot lariat with a V-trigger. Hangman escaped a one-winged angel and then hit Omega with the one-winged angel for a sick 2.9 false finish. So no one's kicked out of the one-winged angel, but Omega has. So that, I thought that was pretty interesting. Hangman then hit a buckshot lariat to the back of Omega's head as Nick chose not to interfere. Then on the other side of the ring, Matt also chose not to interfere and actually nodded before Hangman hit a buckshot lariat to Omega's front. And he got the clean one, two, three to win the AEW World Championship in 25 minutes. The Dark Order gave him a standing ovation and Paige brought them to the ring to celebrate it with him as Full Gear went off the air. So, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> some goosebumps going over that again. This was a fantastic moment for Hangman. And the booking was nearly perfect. You guys ask me all the time, Silver King, what do you mean when you talk about story and psychology when it comes to a match? This is what I'm talking about when it comes to story and psychology. Two years, in fact, of storytelling paying off in a really big moment. I did cringe momentarily when the Young Bucks came out, but they played it really well. What would I have done differently? There's an argument that the finish could have been more action-packed. There's an argument for no callous spot. Uh, Who cares? It was an incredible match. Well-deserving of my grade here, 4.75 stars and an A+. It was easily the match of the night. And I love, my favorite thing maybe, is that they didn't overshadow it with a debut or some other shit happening at the end, an attack or someone coming through the crowd, whatever the case. They let the win stand. I did think AEW went to, uh, not to commercial, they ended the show too quickly after that. I would have loved to have seen pyro or confetti or something to really celebrate the moment. They didn't give me that. It felt like a good title win, but it didn't feel like as big of a deal as it actually was and should have felt like to me as a viewer. So I loved it. Don't get me wrong. That's why it was nearly perfect instead of perfect. Yeah, I'm between 4.5, 4.75. But but the booking, the story they told was great. I know some people were, didn't love the Matt Jackson nod at the end. I like that they were there. Like I, like we said, they, they built it up our rampage. He's friends with them. Maybe you don't need him to nod. Maybe you just have him look at him kind of like Nick did. Um, it's nitpicking. I agree that I wish that they had um, done more. I was I, I like that the Dark Order came to the ring and, and kind of lifted him up. I was wondering if more people were going to come out, if they were going to fill the whole ring or not, do one of those. Didn't need to. But yeah, I, I was like, it was kind of over. And then I'm, you know, finishing up my work uh, to, to finish before we start this podcast. 
and it just ended. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was waiting for more. It, it, it was a long show, but, you know, there's no need to duck out if you're just going to show Celebration at the end. I guess Paige, right. I think, spoke to the crowd afterward, too. He did. Like, I don't know. It would have been nice to would have been nice to see that. I don't really really quick, to... just really quick, I'll yeah. let you continue. So yeah. Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17, he was there. He told me what Paige said to the crowd. Since you brought it up, let me say it. And yeah, then you can yeah. Continue. Uh, Paige said he didn't believe in himself when he said he'd become the first champion AEW, and he didn't know what he was going to, going to amount to. A lot of self-doubt until he eventually came back, found a way to persevere, beat all his personal demons, negativity. Um, he said he promised a lot. And if he could promise one more, it would be that he'll be champion forever. That's just Nick's breakdown. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Continue. Go with yeah, me. no, no. I mean, I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe you save that for the, the, the next dynamite promo, you know, as a champion first promo. Sure. But yeah, it, just, it was, it was kind of um, surprising. It went off the air, but yeah, no, it, it was an awesome match. I love the way that Omega took the buckshot Lariat at the end because so many guys take it and they do that flip when they get hit by it. But Omega just almost took it stiff and you heard the slap and he just kind of collapsed and he got the pin. So it was kind of a different, it, it kind of almost felt more impactful that way. So I really liked that. Um, when Omega was getting dropped on his head, I didn't love that, but I know that's kind of how they, I know it's kind of how they do things. Um, but, you know, they, they had built this up for two years. It needed to be a big moment. It felt like a big moment at the end. And, and like you said, they didn't, it wasn't a convoluted end. No. I'm fine with I was fine no. with Don Callis being in there, but you didn't have a whole full on run in the full dark order clearing it out. You know, they kept it just about hangman and you needed to do that. And so it, it was great. It, it was a big moment at the end. Maybe not the biggest, like we said, right. but they they all they nailed this almost perfectly. So kudos to them for that. Yeah, it was a crowning moment that they succeeded in doing all the things we talked about on the ultimate preview. Don't overbook it. Um, don't give us a schmoz, let him win clean, don't have a lot of interference, and allow that moment to stand at the end. And they did. I just, again, didn't feel like they gave that extra, the oomph to it. Now, maybe on Dynamite Wednesday, he comes out for a coronation, there's pyro and, and you know, confetti, there's a cake, like who, who knows what they're going to do, right? Um, especially because I think they said something about Dynamite being in his hometown, or where he lives, or something like that. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a nor. I don't know if it's the next one, but it's gonna be in Norfolk very quickly, and that's where he's he's from, Virginia. Yeah, got it. Okay, so there are opportunities for them to do all of that with him. I just I just would have loved a little more pomp and circumstance at the end of the show, considering it was such a watershed moment for AEW. But it was a really, really, really good main event. The fact that we're both in that range, me four point seven five and an A plus, you in between that and an A, you know, very, very good. Uh, let's move to the match that opened the show. Darby Allen versus MJF. And yes, this is my show. I am the host of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So I will talk about the match I was anticipating second most on the entire card, which was this one. And I think I was proven correct, by the way, about that. Yeah. Uh, there was a video of Darby purposely getting into a car crash, injured and bloody with the word loser written on the car. I, I Folks, I, I just hate these. I just wish they would stop. Okay, I don't like any of them. I've never had. Uh, yeah, anyway. I'm with you. I, I, I like. I we're similar in age. We're similar background. It's just it's not my thing. It, it's it's, it's kind of whatever. It doesn't it's, make me cheer for him. 
Yeah, like I'm glad that in AEW people get to be themselves, but like yes. stop indulging Darby as much. Like just you know, peel him back a little bit, like 10% less, you know. Uh, anyway, the match start was fun. It was really heavily choreographed. Darby had a sick tope suicida shoulder tackle and missed a coffin drop on the apron in a nasty spot. Darby later hit a flip over stunner off the middle rope. MJF caught Darby for a power slam onto his knee, which I'm sure is something that's been done before, but I've never seen it. I thought that was great. MJF later countered a code red in, into an inverted Alabama slam style powerbomb and caught Darby for a tombstone pile driver on the ring apron. MJF sold a knee all match, but Darby kept alternating between which one he actually attacked, which I thought was a miss. They did rotating pinning combinations before Darby countered a last ride into a code red for a 2.9 that got a standing ovation from the crowd. MJF rolled outside and Darby hit a coffin drop onto the floor. Then MJF blocked one inside but sold the knee. Sting took out Sean Spears and Wardlow on the ramp with weapons. MJF rolled Darby's skateboard to him and demanded to be hit. Darby refused and MJF stuck Darby with the ring as the referee was getting rid of the skateboard, hitting him with the side headlock takeover as he predicted ahead of time that he could beat him with it and as he did multiple, multiple times during the match for the win. So I thought this was an incredible match. The psychology with the headlock takeovers, the booking, the work between two young guys, as JR would say, two of the four pillows of AEW, all of it was awesome until the finish. Between the completely absurd appearances of Sting, Spears, and Wardlow, it completely slowed down the match. And then Darby being first outsmarted and then beaten this guy who takes car crashes and walks away from them injured and bloodied. He gets beaten because of a tiny little diamond ring punching him in the forehead. These aren't brass knucks with a punch to the jaw. It's a diamond effing ring to the forehead. That does not work for me. This was headed towards an A+. I was ready to drop the 4.75, the five stars. I was ready to go there. I can't do it with a finish like that. So I went 4.5 stars and an A. I get that Darby needed an out for a loss. There are so many much better ways to do it than they did here. I also give it a 4.5. Um, to start, I, there was a sign on the hard cam side at the beginning of the match that said, MJF eats sloppy steaks. And if, you, <laughs> if you've ever watched, I think you should leave on Netflix. Yeah. I pop, I pop big for that sign. Um, MJF is a really good wrestler and does not get enough credit for it because he is so good on the mic and be, and, and because we don't see him wrestle. That's what I was going to say. Cause he never wrestled. <laughs> right. But he is very, very talented at absolutely everything. And he, you know, more than held up his own part of this match. And what was a very well wrestled match. The spots were great. Um, I, the, the rolling around in a circle while they were pinning each other, I thought was hilarious. I, that's gotta be pretty tough to do. Just kind of rotating your, your body while you're tied up. So that was pretty cool. Um, this thing in Wardlow Spears thing, this is where I'm going to complain about the production. We didn't even see them coming out. The first, the first person we see coming out is Sting. And you're like, why Sting coming out? Oh, cause Spears and Wardlow came out. We didn't see them. And so Sting then hits him and be like, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't set up the situation for us before Sting came in to clear it out. So it just came across as really sloppy and strange. Also, I, I know Sting is Sting, but can we get away from him beating up two much younger guys two on one every time? It's just well, ridiculous. To be fair, he had the bat. I mean, this is they had, like they had weapons too. 
Right, but they didn't hit him with it. He he got to them first. <laughs> this isn't like Sting taking a chair shot no from 2.0 and no selling it. That 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 I have a problem with. But Sting beating him up with a bat. He's 62. I, 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 He's a, 62 a, years a bat. old. A bat's going to hurt anybody. But <laughs> so, so the finish, I, I was fine with the finish because it fit the story because MJF said he was going to, he could pin Darby by doing this, and he did, and there was a way to do it. Now, is this the end of the feud? I don't know. Probably not. But, you know, at some point, MJF's going to have to take a loss. You would have... I don't know where or how it's going to happen, but I, I, you know, we both picked MJF to win and we got what we expected. I was, I was fine with the finish because it fit, it fit in everything. It wasn't like an out of no, like pinning him the way he pinned him. I think it, it saved it for me to, to do it, to, to back up what he said to me makes the diamond ring thing fit. So I, I was okay with the finish. Yeah. I, I can't get there for it. Um, it, if it was another wrestler, maybe, but a daredevil who gets hurt on the regular. I mean, may, maybe Darby was already, you know, beat up because he was at no, a car crash right before the match. <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm saying like a guy who gets beat up on the reg and, and takes and does death defying stunts and all this type of stuff gets beaten because he gets hit with a ring in the forehead. I mean, we could get punched with a ring in the forehead and nothing would happen. I mean, unless it was like Mike Tyson. Yeah, you know? but it's been it's been established in kayfabe. That I that's know, but it's absurd. I understand that's fine, that. But it's being consistent. Okay, but he often will hit the ring, I think, I think, and then hit a finisher or then hit, you know, a subsequent major move coming out of that, I think. I, I just can't get there. Um, this is what I'm going to say. There were multiple matches in the first half of the show where I loved the wrestling, I loved the match, and I just did not like the finish. This is one of them. I I couldn't get there. I'm still giving it a really good grade. 4.5 stars. I mean, I don't hand that out. You know? (laughs) It takes a lot to get there. But I couldn't go higher. I wanted to. I was ready to. I was loving it. I was like, oh my God, I was proven right. This this is going to be the match of the night. I was riding high on it. I was really excited. And then the finish just came. and Cold water. Again, I I was fine. I I was fine with it. Because it fit MJF's character. And, you know, I, I explained it already. So Yeah, that's fine. That was fine. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, the world title eliminator, we had Brian Danielson against Miro. This was third on the show and purposefully slow because it was wrestled at Miro's pace. Danielson hit a flying knee off the ring apron and later stomped Miro. Miro countered a running knee with a powerbomb and looked up to his god. Brian fought but got locked in game over until he escaped. Brian then rolled through a second attempt for a near fall spot, got the label lock in but Miro powered out and gouged the eyes to escape a triangle. Danielson then hit a tornado DDT off the top rope and put Miro in a guillotine where he tapped out in like two seconds. Commentary explained that the weak point of Miro is his neck. They said this during the match and that Danielson took advantage when he noticed that he got kind of knocked a little bit off after the tornado DDT. So I thought it was definitely a good match. The explanation from commentary helped sell the finish the one thing I wished about the match is that Brian had concentrated on the neck earlier and more consistently if that was going to be the booking in the finish. It did end flat for the crowd. I mean, I, you have to look at the re- crowd response to the whole thing. Brian Danielson won a match and it was like, it wasn't a pin drop. People were excited, but it it was not as huge or momentous as we would have expected. I nope. presume the decision here was that Brian's first loss coming to a newly crowned champion in Hangman Adam Page 
would be easier to digest than Miro in this spot. And of course, this had to be altered booking when it was pretty obvious, I think, that John Moxley was originally going to win and beat Brian. So I thought it was an entertaining match. I'm going to say 3.75 stars and a B plus. That may actually be a tad generous here. It was good, not great. And I just thought they could have done a little bit better with the story. Yeah, I was thinking around that same, maybe maybe a 3.5. And But really what, what held it down was that finish where I, like, I didn't catch it the second it happened. Because it happened pretty quick. Yeah, I, then I the was match was over. On my screen. And yeah. not only did that, they didn't show a replay. That's a that's another issue again with the production where I didn't really see the finish live. So I needed you to explain it because I missed it a quick second. And yeah, and like you said, the reaction was nothing. So strange. We you know we did. I think we both picked Miro to win. Yes, um, we did. And you know if Paige is going to be the first one to beat Brian. I guess that's a better. It is better. Yeah, it is a better first win for for Paige and we. You and I were thinking like WWE style. Um, you know, heel the heel is going to win to to the face win mm-hmm. or whatever. So I, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, just um, it was it was it was it was a decent match. I just very let down by that finish. Um, yeah, and in 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 really to not have a replay that that was a stretch of production issues because then they were said they were going to go to a video package and they didn't. It the whole thing was weird. I don't know how you don't have a replay of the finish of the match. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I, I do think Tony Khan made the right decision ultimately in having Brian go over. I just didn't think he would do that if that makes yeah. sense, but it, it made a lot of sense. Miro coming off of a loss. It's easier to take one now and still continue the angle of why is my God forsaken me? Then win and then have to go back to it. And really, we should have thought about that when we were talking yeah. about it in the ultimate preview. So I put that more on us than anything else. But yeah, the finish was flat. And, you know, maybe I am being generous. You're making me think that maybe I was a little too positive. God forbid I'm criticized of being positive well, about, about AEW here, which no one ever says. Um, but I do think that's the range. 3.75, 3.5. It was good. It was a good match. Yeah. No, I mean, my, my criticism is as much of the production than the actual match. And so, you know, that would... That's part. That's a big part of my negativity on it. All right. We had CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. And I did want to uh, do a mea culpa here. In our ultimate preview, I criticized this for being a rush storyline. But AEW actually did a really good job in their video package, but more importantly, in the promo segment, the parking lot deal, just everything, selling the intensity of this underlying hatred between two people. And when you have that type of underlying hatred and distrust and all that type of stuff, you don't need a long storyline. Now, granted, we as fans, you know, many of us at least don't know that. So they had to tell us that they had to teach us. But how long do you need to be taught that? You don't really need four weeks on that. You need two and a half, three weeks. And I think we got two or maybe 10 days or something like that. And I thought it ultimately was fine. So I did want to kind of walk that back, that criticism that I gave. Because going into the match, I was plenty pumped up for it. And I just didn't think I was going to be. So I was wrong about that. As far as the match goes, Punk wore these tiny baggy shorts like he was a basketball player from the 1970s. Uh, It took some getting used to. uh, I'll say that. Uh, Before the bell, Kingston blindsided him with a spinning back fist, which I thought was awesome. And then Punk gave him double birds while gathering himself. 
Punk bladed early back in the ring. He planted Kingston and teased doing you can't see me like John Cena, but instead gave him the finger. And man, he did like three of the five moves of Doom. I just wish he did all five. (laughs) I would have popped so freaking hard for it, but it was still awesome that he alluded to it just because just like the promo alluded to the feud with John Cena. So I thought that just tied it all together really nicely. They brawled and Punk caught Kingston clowning with the go to sleep. Punk dodged a backfist, delivered a bunch of knees and hit one more GTS for the win. Kingston then refused to shake his hand and stumbled off. This was my shit right here. Okay, not the match of the night by any means. My personal bias had me popping hard the entire time. It was just a straight up war. Punk got himself booed. Kingston switched back and forth, healed a face. Eddie losing was really not a big deal, given he said he didn't care about winning in the promo battle anyway. It was probably a bit lower. I I bet you would grade it lower or others who were watching, but I'm a sucker for good storytelling along with an absolute beatdown. That's what this was. I am saying four stars and an A minus. I was just thoroughly sports entertained the entire time. Yeah, no, I I love this. And because of what you said, because of storytelling and because of intensity and because of the crowd, I'm I'm the kind of person who my favorite match is Rock Hogan at WrestleMania 18. Like I I don't need great technical wrestling for it to be a great wrestling match. And, and that's what this was. The promo video beforehand was awesome. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about yep. where it gets you really invested in the people and gets you excited for the match to start. And Punk was playing heel here, especially in that promo, when in that video when he's like, I just got to wait for Eddie to beat himself. He's a loser who always blows his chances. And I was like, oh, okay, they really are telegraphing an Eddie Kingston win here. This is going to be his moment. Like I, I picked, this is the, might be the only one we picked differently. I think in the, in the preview, um, I thought, Eddie, I, I thought Eddie Kingston would get the win. They come out hot. Uh, the, the back slap, the middle fingers, punk bleeding, all that stuff. It was great. It, it was great. I was disappointed when punk won. Cause I was like, oh man, I wanted, I wanted Eddie King to get his, to get his moment. And I think you know, that's what I was supposed to feel. So, um, you know, Eddie obviously didn't shake his hand and walked off. Is this feud going to continue? I don't know. Theoretically, you're not bringing Punk back to do a long, longer feud with, you know, right. Eddie Kingston. But right. but maybe I, I I don't know. Um, but uh, this is now I guess what two straight matches now that Eddie, Eddie Kingston has not shaken hands after uh, after losing with with Brian previously. So I'm really curious where it goes next. I'm really glad Eddie Kingston got to have a CM Punk match, you know, at at a pay-per-view like this. Um, And yeah, I was, I was, I was sad that he lost. And then, you know, I think I was supposed to, so they did a good job. One of the reasons the video package worked for this and didn't work for the others is precisely because the build was short. So they didn't have a lot of material to go off. So they didn't need it. They could, they could keep it short and the short preview for it worked. Whereas for other ones, it doesn't feel like it's enough. So that is something that's notable there. Uh, women's championship match, Britt Baker defending against Ty Conti. Uh, Baker put the glove on and Rebel screamed like she was on bath salts. I, I did not understand why she did that. Uh, Conti hit a cutter, yeah. but Baker got an air raid crash on the apron. Baker kicked out after a hopeful tie KO, but the crowd just didn't react and sat on its hands. Conti hit a gotch pile driver for a near fall. Rebel distracted as Jamie Hayter threw Conti into the steps. Baker stomped her head into the steps and added another stomp in the ring but didn't go for the pinfall and instead failed on an attempted lockjaw. Baker got booted off the ring apron so Conti could hit a totally like set up telegraphed uh, moonsault. 
back in the ring. A DD tie went for a near fall, and Baker rolled a countered lockjaw attempt into a roll-up for the win. This match got plenty of time, so there's no criticism over that. And there were a couple good spots, but it was, to me, largely a disappointment. There was just never a point where it got hot. Two stomps, including one on steel steps, and not getting a win there, to me, is just ridiculous. The truth is, Britt Baker's a good wrestler, but she performs best when she's the second best wrestler in the match, or when there's weapons to maybe hide some of her deficiencies. Given Conti is a weaker worker, this just, to me, fell flat. There was never an, a situation we knew going in. There was never a situation where it felt like, oh my God, maybe Conti's going to beat her. They never even gave us like a true false finish where I thought it's an actual possibility. Um, so really, honestly, just nothing here really worked. For this to be the only women's match on the main card and to not really deliver, surrounded by a lot of really damn good wrestling, it was a disappointment. So I went 2.5 stars in a C. Yeah, I'd probably give it about that too. Um, I, I thought the match was better than what they got from the crowd. I, I mean, the crowd really did not care about any of this old time. And I think this, I think a lot of them probably looked at it as a breather because it was a, it, it was a long show with yeah. a lot of intensity. And I think this was just kind of one of those where everybody kind of took a break. And that happens, you know, on, on, on shows. Um, I did think this was a pretty good match. I, you know, I, I, I'm actually going to go a bit higher. I'm actually going to say three stars. I, I thought it was well done for what it was. Um, the, the prom, they, had, they had a promo video before this one too, and it was really good. It, it highlighted Ty Conti's background in judo and stuff like that, and explained how she's such a good fighter. It was like it was like a boxing match type of promo where it's just talking about their skills. We didn't get any, but we didn't get anything about Ty Conti's background. She said, I think, one sentence in the whole thing. Um, so it, it um, that was good and bad, I thought, you know, leading into a championship match. I love the entrances, by the way. I don't know if you, I don't know if we mentioned it, but, um, you know, Ty Conti coming out with the, the, the paint on her face, the flag, Burt Baker getting the live music entrance. It made it feel like a big match. And, and that's what you want from a women's championship match on a pay-per-view. Crowd didn't get into it, but I, I do credit AEW for trying. And also continues a good trend in AEW where if you have live music for your entrance, you win, which is the opposite of how it usually works in WWE. Usually when you get the live music, you're going to lose. So it seems to continue to be a good omen for uh, for AEW. So it, it, was, it was better than the reaction it got, um, but... You know, it, there was a ceiling on how good it was going to be. We had the AEW Tag Team Championship, the Lucha Brothers defending against FTR. There was a assisted cannonball sent on to take out FTR. Ray Phoenix got the hot tag and hit a sick double rolling cutter for a near fall and a tightrope PK for another. Cash Wheeler grabbed a AAA title as Dax pushed Phoenix into it, but he kicked out a 2.8 in a really good false finish. Penta taunted FTR, so Tully Blanchard grabbed his leg. Dax tried three Amigos, but Penta countered and hit all three Amigos with Phoenix hitting a frog splash for another near fall. I thought that should have been the finish of the match, by the way. Uh, FTR hit a spike pile driver for a near fall. Then Phoenix jumped and leaped off a package pile driver for a fear factor and splash combination for another near fall. It was just a ridiculous looking spot. It was so cool. Uh, Cash put on a green mask that he wore for, I think it was La Superanas is the name of the team. Um, 
but he was the illegal man in the match. Rick Knox counted the fall until seeing his feet on the ropes. Then the Lucha Brothers hit him with Fear Factor for the one, two, three, and ripped the mask off. So this was another great match coming out of the Darby Allen MJF match with, to me, just a mind-boggling finish. If you're not going to reverse the decision, especially when the mask is pulled off and the referee realizes it was not the legal man, then what is the point of doing that at all? The Lucha Brothers retaining was obviously the right booking, but I don't get the protection here. It just, it was really, really convoluted to do the finish this way. I still went four stars and an A minus because it was super entertaining, but I did downgrade it for the overbooking. Just don't blame the messenger. Don't yell at me. No, I'm the same about about four stars. That kick out or that 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 finish, I mean, was so strange. And like you said, like commentary kept saying he's not the legal man, he's not the legal man. So you're like you're waiting for that to pay off, right? And then it just doesn't. And you know they'll probably on Dynamite use it as an excuse to get another rematch, sure. But like for something they really, really, really emphasized during the match when it happened to not get any sort of payoff, they're just like. All right, well, I guess that's how it's going, is basically what commentary said. So that that was weird. But spots in here were great. There was the one where Phoenix gets punched, and he flips backwards and flips back up into a super kick, into a double cutter. That was ridiculous. This guy does stuff just every time you see him that's just otherworldly. Just, just crazy. And then there was another part uh, I wrote down here in my notes. Um, production issue. After the belt shot, when, when they hit, um, I don't remember which one it was, but FTR hit uh, Lucha Brothers with the belt, mm-hmm. the AAA belt. They got the one-two pin, and the camera cut to on the side of the ring. And right when potential three is going to happen, Tully walks right in front of the camera, so you don't see the kick out. That was weird. Just... A li- just a little thing that was like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Um, but it, it, it was fun match. Weird, weird finish that I think even the crowd was kind of like, what the heck about? Which was the case for several of these matches. So we'll see if it keeps going. I don't know, but um, I don't know why you had to make a finish like that. Like you, you could have gotten out of it so many other ways. It, it is one thing that AEW, you know, they said, hey, we're not going to do DQ finishes, right? Right. So fine. I appreciate that as a wrestling fan. I love that they don't do DQ finishes. But the truth is, they shouldn't do zero DQ finishes. They should occasionally <laughs> yeah. use a DQ finish once in a while. I re- they really should not do it on pay-per-view. You want to do it on TV occasionally, that's fine. But because of that, they have to figure out all these ways to do schmas type of finishes or, you know, really convoluted things to get te- you know teams or people out of losing matches without getting hurt by it. But when you come in here, FTR's heels and they they cheat all the time. So why the hell did they need an out here? Why can't they just lose to the tag team champions? Like, I don't get it, right? And by the way, they're going to fight for the AAA tag team titles in Mexico. I think it's December 4th, so coming up pretty soon. So they're already going to be fighting again. So it's like, I, I just don't know why you needed to do this. I still got in the four star range with it. But man, I was disappointed. Like, I thought this had a chance. There were, I said, there were three or four matches that I thought could steal the show. This, I thought, was one of them. And ultimately, it just did it. That finish was really bad. 
Uh, okay, let's keep going here. We had Cody Rhodes and Pac against uh, Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. Pac tagged himself in before Cody got hit with Black Mass, which he then sold for at, for at least 10, but 10 to 15 minutes outside the ring. Arn Anderson fought Andrade's amigo and chased him backstage. Andrade hit a springboard torneo outside, split leg moonsault inside, and pendulum DDT on the apron, all for near falls. Black angered Andrade, tagging himself in. As Cody finally woke up, Cody got the hot tag, taking Black off the apron with a disaster kick and hit an inverted superplex onto Andrade, which was an awesome spot. Pac tagged himself in while Cody had Andrade in the figure four and hit the Black Arrow, but Andrade grabbed the bottom rope. Black then pulled Cody into Pac, flipping outside, and booted him over the barricade. Pac then got Andrade with an Exploder and Poison Rana and Black Arrow for the clean one, two, three. Cash Wheeler, after the match, ran in, punched each guy once, and then ran away. I have no idea why that happened. It was so strange. Anyway, this was basically just as disjointed as the storyline was coming into the pay-per-view. This was a TV main event. The finish felt unimportant because the two guys involved aren't feuding, and Cody's long absence did not get paid off in any way whatsoever. Also, they had a really nice finish set up with Cody having Andrade in the figure four and Pac hitting the black arrow. That's all they needed to do in the match. Instead, they continue it, have Pac hit another black arrow plus a bunch of really big moves just to get the win. So there was no payoff for the already lacking storyline. This is a really, really tough match to grade because there were parts of it that were good wrestling, but also a lot of it that wasn't. So I'm going to say three stars and a B minus. Yeah, I was going to go three. This felt like such a WWE match. Just You put two guys together and you put them on a pay-per-view and they do a match that doesn't mean anything and it's completely forgettable and you're not going to remember it the next day. <laughs> like it just, and it for, for with all four guys being former WWE guys, like it just felt like, okay, let's do one of these types of matches. Um, yeah, it was whatever. I, I don't really have many thoughts on what actually happened in it. I will say that Malachi Black's entrance is so cool and there should be no announcer or commentary over it. They, you have to make it feel different. He's doing something so unique and spooky to then just have Justin Roberts speaking over the PA and to then have Excalibur talking about him as he's like walking with this giant weird ass mask on his head. Like, don't do that. Wait till he gets to the ring before you do his announcement for Justin Roberts and don't have commentary say anything like the Undertaker. Sometimes they talk, but he has a long entrance and it's about feeling kind of the spookiness of it. Way too much talking over Malachi Black's entrance. If you take that out, it's it's one of those entrances where like, oh, man, like you got to go see that in person at some point. Like it's because it's, it's just so different. And it so just stop talking over it because it's very cool. Yeah. All right. We're definitely on the same page there. Uh, a couple more matches left. I think it's three more matches left. Inner Circle versus Men of the Year and American Top Team in a Minneapolis street fight. So this was the penultimate match on the card. The I guess you could call it cool down match before the main event, though it seems weird to have Chris Jericho and Junior Dos Santos in a cool down match. But technically, that's what it was. So Dos Santos had a really nice uh, power slam and vertical suplex on Jericho, then nearly broke his neck trying a standing moonsault. Dan Lambert ran away the whole match. Jake Hager dove into eight dudes outside. 
There were some weapons, including a print symbol, a toaster, and a water ski. There was a multi-man submission spot. Sammy Guevara threw a football. It was easily the spot of the match when Sammy jumped off a really tall ladder, did a flying scent on, threw Scorpio Sky on a table. Jimmy Rasky uh, was ringside, and he put the iron claw on Ethan Page, which was pretty cool. Santana used security to cannonball into the crowd. Lambert celebrated in the ring for no reason. I don't know why he was celebrating. Dos Santos uh, punched Jericho as he tried a lion salt onto Lambert. Jericho then killed Lambert and Dos Santos with a kendo stick. Jericho finished by honoring Eddie Guerrero with a frog splash for the win. And the context, of course, is that Eddie uh, died in Minneapolis. And that's why he was honored on different parts throughout the show. Look, this was never going to be a masterpiece, right? We knew that going in. At the same time, it actually fell below my already low expectations. Were there a couple cool spots? Yes. But the entire thing was a mess. We barely got to see the MMA guys, which was really the draw of including American Top Team the entire time. And even the stuff with Lambert was not nearly as cathartic as I hoped it would be. The whole point of this and of Lambert going nuts all these months was to see this guy get murdered. You don't have to do anything crazy. The guy's not a professional wrestler. Put him through a table, have Jericho do something significant to him, have him blade or use a blood capsule. There's a million different things you could do. Instead, he took a couple kendo stick shots and ate a frog splash. It was literally the bare minimum they could have done. I actually thought this was the worst thing on the entire show. To my total surprise, two stars, C minus. Yeah, I was gonna. I was literally gonna be between two and two point five. I, I, you know, I praised. I, I didn't care for the story for a good amount of the time, but I loved the go home segment on. Uh, on Wednesday, that was the first time it truly felt like wrestling heat. There's a surprise beatdown. Lambert's putting Jericho through a table, just disrespecting the business by doing these kinds of things. I was like, oh, now, now I'm I'm finally kind of invested in this, and I thought we'd get kind of more of a serious type of match. So things start playing out, and for it being a tag team street fight with five guys. I guess I kind of just assumed that meant tornado tag rules. I, I, It was weird to just be like, we got a street fight going on. And then everybody's just like sitting there tagging in and stuff like that. At the same time, we'll get to the super click match later. So maybe you don't want to do the exact same kind of multi-man tag match and have it go everywhere. So the, the Sammy Guevara, you know, uh, Swanton from the top was nuts. That ladder... The camera angle did not properly highlight how high that was. It was really was. high, yeah. The hard cam properly showed how high it was. So uh, that was a crazy spot. That spot, by the way, was so high that even Riddle was impressed by it. And whoa, I'm real high. Yes, and, and the MMA guys still, you know, don't do a good job of throwing worked punches, which makes sense, but it's still very noticeable. That's why I was so surprised they did the normal tag format because it's like you figure you're going to be hiding these guys' you know, inefficiencies in a wrestling by not putting someone one-on-one in the ring with Chris Jericho. But they did. There were a couple kind of slaps that looked weird. And then, yeah, for, for it to end with Jericho just doing that, not putting him through a table, not beating him down with weapons, really. He hit him with a kendo stick a few times, but that's it. Like, 
that was not that was not a payoff for something they put so much time into. That was a real letdown of a payoff. So much time. Like think about how long that feud went on and and how many times we had to see Dan Lambert on television. And we don't get the catharsis that we really want to just see this guy get his head taken off, you know, or something like that. And again, folks, I get it. He's an older man, right? But if you're going to talk that much trash, you better be able to back it up. You say you're going to pin Chris Jericho, the legendary Hall of Famer, first AEW world champion Chris Jericho. You take two kendo stick shots and a frog splash. I mean, I mean, he put Jericho through a table on the go home. That's at least the, the, the minimum they could have done. Yeah. Was a table not, shot not, just like that. And, and and not to mention all the uh, stuff you set up with the fans for if, weeks. And if weeks Shaq weeks. can go, if Shaq, freaking Shaq, big ass Shaq can go through a table outside the ring onto the floor, Dan Lambert can go through a table in the you know friendly confines of the ring. Yeah. And, and one more thing about Eddie Guerrero. Not only did he die in Minneapolis, but the day of the pay-per-view Saturday was 16 years to the day. Oh, it, it was it was November 13th, 2005. Wow. I did. Um, that. And, and the, obviously there were a lot of Eddie tributes, a lot of them similar. But when Jericho did it, especially, yeah. I, I, yeah, I got a bit choked up. You could see he had some tears in his eyes, too. Well, they were and, legitimate you know, friends. I mean, that's, right, that's right, the right. You know? Clearly, yeah. Obviously, they they were a huge part of being friends, yeah. and incredibly close up all the way up to Eddie's death. So it it definitely it just it hit different when you saw Jericho kind of you know feeling the way he did. It did. I did not know it was the direct anniversary. So I'm glad you brought that up. All right, a couple more matches here: Christian Cage and Jurassic Express against the Super Click and a Falls Count Anywhere match on Rampage. We had Jungle Boy versus Bobby Fish. They traded suplexes with Jungle Boy falling on his head and on Exploder into the ropes. Jungle Boy then submitted him with the snare trap. Adam Cole attacked after and tried to do a concerto. Christian Luchasaurus made the save. Thought it was a good short match. I just got to say, I don't know if anyone else agrees. I, I bet no one else agrees. I'm kind of sick of seeing Bobby Fish wrestle. It's like every uh, show. Yeah, I, I didn't. Um, I, it was... It, it's kind of a larger AEW trend where just like someone comes in and then they're just on the show like every every day for two weeks. And it's like like 2.0 is there every single day ep- yeah. episode for like a couple months. And now they're gone. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if that's how they try to keep the shows fresh or what, but we haven't gotten much out of uh, out of Bobby Fish. Just he's there. He hasn't. I don't know if he's cut a promo yet. It's just he's just there. I'm like, OK, yeah, it's weird. All right, then at full gear. So I'm going to limit my breakdown on this because it was just completely chaotic. So I, <laughs> I, I text I, for those. I, I, we don't normally text during the during the show yeah. because we want to have our fresh reactions here. But I did text. I did text Adam. Uh, good luck recapping this one. Yeah. So I kept it short, as short as I possibly could. It was chaotic. Uh, Cole was set up for a concerto, but Jungle Boy hesitated. That was at the very beginning of the match. Jungle Boy hurricanered Cole into a table while Match X and Elbow dropped Luchasaurus into another. Christian jumped off a bomb to splash three guys waiting for him. They poured thumbtacks into Jungle Boy's mouth, then double super kicked him with Christian making the save. Cole got thrown and Nick Jackson chokeslammed into a ladder by Luchasaurus. Cole then hit a Panama Sunrise. They did a BTE trigger on Luchasaurus for a near fall. He chokeslammed Cole off a stage into two guys below, then did an insane shooting star press into the four people that were below him. With Christian's help, uh, Jungle Boy finally decided to hit the concerto on Matt Jackson to get the win. So this was a super entertaining match. With the concerto finish, 
I thought it would have made more sense to do it as the finish, as retribution, if the super click had done it to Jungle Boy or a member of his team, versus basically just doing the same thing that they already did to Adam Cole a couple of weeks ago, but doing it this time to Matt Jackson. Now, I presume the goal of this booking was to show that Jungle Boy has grown up, that he realized sometimes you need to do more than just be a good, nice guy wrestler to beat scumbags like the super click. That's what I presume the lesson in the storyline was in doing this finish. I guess the best way I can describe this for me was it was very fun and very entertaining, but it was not special. This was a loaded card, and there's a lot of matches on here that we put in the four, 4.5 you know, range. We gave a lot of credit, and I have to compare this to those because it's on the same card. So I can't get there with this match like I did with some of those. So I'm back at 3.75 stars and a B plus. It's still a very good grade. It just didn't live up to the better matches on the card for me. Man, I, I am so torn on what to think of this because there was so much that I don't even remember all of it. I started forgetting what was happening in the match as it was going on. I was like, oh, there were like 50 things in this match that could have ended the match, and, and they didn't. So I, I'm torn between like, it was so crazy in the moment, four stars, versus it was so crazy convoluted, I kept forgetting things, three stars. Do I want do I want to go back and watch it because it was so good or do I want to go back and watch it because trying to figure out what exactly happened? I think I'm going to give it a 3.5. Th- there was zero story or psychology to this. It was just guys doing shit. And that works a lot of the time. But there was so much of that, like more than I think they've ever done in a single AEW match like that Lucha Brothers uh, Young Bucks cage match like that <laughs> yeah. had a story. That had a story to it. This was just all over the place. Good and bad. It was just so much to to take in. Um, I I noted here. So they did the tax in the mouth uh, spot, which is crazy. But it would have meant meant a lot more if AEW didn't do this exactly two weeks ago in the women's match. With Adam Cole's girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, we just saw this. I guess. Well, I presume that was the point, though, that they had the idea because his girlfriend did it, so he did it himself. I, I guess, maybe. I, I don't know if commentary said that or if I missed No, they it. didn't. I, That's I, just I, what I assumed. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't make that connection. Um, there, uh, there was so much stuff that, honestly, the crowd didn't even like react to everything. I, I think they got worn out at times, too, because there was like holy shit type stuff that would normally end a match that was not even getting a reaction because I think people were just, overstimulated by this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wrote down a, a positive AW production. When, when Luchasaurus does the shooting star press, camera shoots over to Jungle Boy, who has this like stunned look on yes, his face. That was perfect. Yep. That was very, very well done. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, Concerto, they were just like, Jungle Boy needs to be the one to do it. Why? Because he got thrown off the stage. And didn't miss any time. This is the same feud where Adam Cole took a concerto and was wrestling two days later on Rampage. So Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson walked into the main event. Yeah. So I don't. So like <laughs> not all. That's what I'm saying. Where all of this, if you do all of this stuff and it doesn't end the match and it doesn't keep a guy out for weeks, none of it means anything. And I think we all kind of felt that as it was going on. And so that's just kind of like 
such a weird it's such almost an impossible thing to grade for that reason but yeah like it was fine in the moment but just like like i i i know i think you know the young bucks are sometimes unfairly criticized for you know killing the business and stuff like that or whatever but man this this was like this was like all out peak that type of stuff where just nothing meant anything and in the moment it's fun but after that you know, what does it mean? I'm just excited for a certain someone to give this five stars, which we know is coming. We're, we're pretty close to it. Um, the one thing yeah. I'll disagree with you on is you said no psychology, no story. I agree, no psychology. I don't agree, no story. The story was there. Was it a great story? Maybe not. But they did from start to finish in the match. Jungle Boy went from not doing it to deciding to do it. That's fair. The realization that he needed to do things like that going forward. But again, the whole concerto, it's almost... The whole idea is that, you know, he, it got done to him, so he should do it to them. No, it it never got done to him. They only did it to Cole. That was right. the whole point of how this kind of got started, the the intensity of it, to set up false count anywhere. So I, I, that whole thing was just disappointing to me. But it was entertaining. And sometimes wrestling is just about being entertained. Lastly here, the buy-in match, Nyla Rose and Jamie Hayter against Thunder Rose and Akara Ishida. The faces did diving splashes outside with Rosa crushing Hayter the same way she did on TV. Ishida got distracted by Serena Deeb in the audience, so Vicky Guerrero took her knee out with a kendo stick. Hayter superplexed Ishida with Rose hitting a frog splash, but Rosa broke it up with a flying dropkick. Ishida rolled out of a powerbomb attempt and rolled over Nyla for a jackknife cover pinfall. Putting the faces over on the pre-show, always a good idea. There were some entertaining moments here. I didn't think it was anything special, but I did say 2.5 stars in a C. So it was not the worst match on the show. I was entertained by it, but it just wasn't, didn't need to be there. I didn't catch the whole thing. I missed the beginning of it. Um, so I, I wouldn't feel, I, I wouldn't want to give it a grade. Sure. Um, uh, but it was good to get some more women on the card, but a problem that you only have one women's match on the main card, as we talked about in the preview. So you know, good, good to let some good to let him get out there, but it's got to have more. Absolutely. And then last, before we get out of here, uh, before the main event happened, Jay Lethal, formerly of Impact Wrestling and Ring of Honor, was introduced as the newest member of AEW. I thought for a second that Tony Schiavone was saying Jay White, and I almost lost my shit when he did that. <laughs> anyway, Lethal challenged Sammy Guevara to a TNT title match on Dynamite. I'd say there was a moderate pop for this. He did get a chant and I like lethal just fine, but he seems like an unnecessary signing. I, I don't know, Chris, if you're familiar with him at all. Um, if others are excited about it, I'm very happy for you. He's talented enough. He deserves, he really does deserve to be in a major promotion. I got an opportunity to interview him a couple of years ago and he seemed like an absolutely great guy. So I'm glad he's getting this chance. But again, we get back to the roster, it's loaded. Does Jay Lethal really bring something to the table that they don't already have? To me, the answer is no. So I thought it was a little bit strange, but good for him. I'm, I'm happy for him. So there's a lot with this. One, what a stupid way to debut in. They've, they've done this before where they've made an announcement for, for the main event. Hey, we signed this guy. That's like the worst possible time to do it. Like right when everyone's getting ready for a title match. How, how, how do you not 
make him make a surprise running on a dynamite or something. He's here. Jay Lethal's here. Like it's the easiest layup in wrestling, like surprise debut. How do you keep giving this away? They've done this several times. Just stupid. Um, second, AEW has a major problem with, uh, not having any black wrestlers near the top of the card. And this would theoretically, uh, help with that. I don't think it does. I don't think well, he's a top of card guy is what I'm saying. Well, I don't know. I'm just, it, it's a potential. Maybe. You know, we, we, we had talked about, you know, if they were going to sign Keith Lee, he would, he would check Keith off Lee is the answer to that. Yeah. Everything what they want to do. Yes. But it, you know, that's, he's got non-compete clauses. It's a few months away. Sure. sure. So, but still they just keep adding more and more people. We just talked about Bobby Fish joining and wrestling for two weeks straight for no reason, instead of, you know, the young wrestlers that they do have on the roster roster continues to be completely bloated for that reason. Three, you know, we've talked about it, you know, briefly before as it relates to the speaking out movement that happened a couple years ago on pro wrestling, but Jay lethal had some accusations against him. Many. Um, yeah. Yes. Stuff that I don't believe anything has been, you know, how lawsuits have turned out. I don't know all the details and details, but, He's had accusations against him, and that's important to consider with the way, you know, certain companies have handled certain rosters. So just a lot to take in with this with this move. I think it's probably more bad and confusion than good, but we'll see. Yeah, it it is definitely a wait and see situation. Obviously, you know, allegations are allegations. We don't know what is true or what didn't, what what has happened behind the scenes or, or, or what has um, but certainly, yeah, it's a lot of questions there. Um, and is it really worth bringing him in? And I, I just don't know. Again, yes, you're right. They do have an issue uh, with diversity at the top of the card, the men's singles card in particular. It, how about you elevate the people that you have, right? Uh, into right. main event status. How about you sign a Keith Lee, someone who absolutely can step in day one and be a main eventer for you? And I'm sure they will. I have no doubt that AEW is going to sign Keith Lee. But at the same time, does Jay Lethal help you? No. I, th- I think he's a mid-card, lower mid-card type of guy. And it just is very similar to some people that they already have there. So that's why I don't particularly understand it. But hey, we'll see what happens. Maybe they will prove us wrong. There's always the opportunity for that. So that is the instant analysis of AEW Full Gear. The way we end this show is by giving our post-show grades. Now, if you remember, Chris and I, in the pre-show grades, the expectation grades, we both said A-. Uh, the fans came in right around A-, minus B+. I think it was a little bit closer to B+, but very much in the same area. So, Chris, we always start with you. Um, actually, we always start with the fans. Wait, what do we do? I forget. What do we do here? I think we start, we start with the fans. We start with the fans. We'll start with the fans, then we'll go to you. So let's go with what the, the overheads, the fans, the, the, the getting overheads, the overheads, whatever. Here's what they had to say 50.5% of respondents said it was an A, 41.7% said B, 5.8% said C, and 1.9% said D to F. We trash those because there's no way this was a D or F show, no matter what you thought of the rest of it. So, 50.5, So I don't know. That seems to average out to, I guess, an A minus is kind of where I'd put that. Um, a minus B plus area, I'd say A minus is probably their average. Uh, Chris, what did you think of 
AEW Full Gear 2021? I'm going to give it an A. Um, everything on the card was good. There were some bad finishes, but there was nothing where I thought I was wasting my time. There was nothing I was like, this is terrible. There were just some there were just some bad finishes on there. That's what's keeping it from being an A plus. Um, they had big moments. They had, you know, uh Hangman winning. They had CM Punk doing the you can't see me thing. You know, they they, they had some moments. They had a variety of matches. There was a lot of different things on the card. So I, I think it delivered every every way. You know, I gave money in the bank an A when WWE came back because everything was good and and and, and if everything on the card is good, then I think that's what I got to do. So I'm going to give it an A. So I can't, I don't think I can get all the way to a full A because to me, that means everything on the card was A or B level in order for me to give an overall show an A. And that's not the case. I gave a couple C's here, not just in terms of match grades and things like that, but it, even many of the matches I graded well, uh, ex- some of them extremely well. I had problems with the finishes, the MJF Darby Allen situation, for example, the the Brian Danielson and Miro situation. This show, when I was watching it, it was very similar to a number of major WWE pay-per-views. Let me finish. Don't go crazy. Where it starts extremely hot. They give you one or two matches off the bat that burn the house down. And then it cools off significantly. And then really picks up with an exceptionally strong main event. That is how this card played out to me. And even in some of those opening matches, about halfway through the show, I said, man, they have not missed in terms of wrestling, except the finishes have not been exceptionally strong. And in fact, many of them have annoyed me. So I cannot give them a full A because of that, but I will definitely be in the A range. A minus is what I am giving AEW full gear, which means it directly hit my expectation for the show. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. This was an exceptionally strong pay-per-view. It will be, I think, when we do our getting over awards next month in December, year-end awards. I think it's going to be a nominee for pay-per-view of the year. A- minus is definitely deserving of being in that category. But did I think it was exceptionally strong from top to bottom with no misses? No, I did not. I did think there were a couple misses on the show. That, that that's fair i i mean you know you saying everything needs to be an a for you to give it an a, a or b a or b to get an a that i i that that's kind of what i think what puts it in the a plus range for me um i i just thought you know as it was going on it just felt like everything it felt like everything mattered and you know, especially when the punk kingston thing was going on i was like this it was it was relatively early but i was, I was like this could end up being AEW's best pay-per-view ever because we know we're going to get the hangman win in the end and you need to nail that ending. And they did. So, you know, maybe I'm being more lenient. And I think I've actually in the past been more hard on AEW for its pay-per-views specifically because I'm not as into the technical wrestling is not the most important thing to me. I I just, I need, I need stories and entertainment and and this delivered on that. So everything was Solid. I, I know I think the lowest rated match was was the American top team stuff and certainly didn't hit. And that would be the lowest and certainly didn't hit maybe what we thought. But it, it was also its own thing in its own way and gave us a moment like Sammy Guevara doing the Swanton. So I, I'm yeah, I, I, I think hey, I, I think they deserve a lot of credit. I think it's the best AW pay-per-view in a long time. Maybe the best they've ever done. 
Very good. Very good. Well, look, the truth is we're quibbling, right? We're over a, a not even a letter grade, a half of a letter grade. So A, A minus, whatever you guys thought, it was a great pay-per-view, right? In that A range, AEW should definitely be proud, as should the performers of AEW be extremely proud of what they did on the show. Um, man, I got to tell you, you're right. MJF really shined in particular on this show. I thought he was great. And the fact that Hangman Adam Page got that crowning achievement at the end was just fantastic. So yeah, that is our instant analysis of AEW Full Gear 2021. Before we get out of here, folks, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, as always, is all about So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show. Tell them to subscribe, listen, and drop some five-star reviews of their own. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. As far as what's coming up here on Getting Over, we will be back on Tuesday. Yep, it is already here. The WWE Survivor Series 2021 Ultimate Preview episode will break down everything that happened Friday night on SmackDown this upcoming Monday night on Raw, which is suddenly the go-home show to Survivor Series. Granted, there's been very little build uh, for this pay-per-view, but we will do the absolute best we can to give you an instant analysis on a half-full card. Uh, Maybe they add to it and fill it up on Monday. But that will come on Tuesday. That's the WWE episode. And then we will be back on Thursday talking all things AEW and NXT as always. What that also means is there may or may not be a special Friday episode, depending if things happen on the go home for Survivor Series that are important. But Sunday ahead of Survivor Series, we will have a live uh, Twitter Spaces show, uh, pre-show, 30 minutes uh, before the WWE Survivor Series kickoff show. And then next Sunday, one week from the taping of this podcast, we will have a WWE Survivor Series instant analysis podcast. So a minimum three episodes coming up next week, and a maximum of four plus a live show. There is plenty getting over wrestling podcast for you to listen to in the coming weeks. That is it for tonight. So for Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. I am going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.